Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Sibconscious, a podcast made by two friends over two drinks trying to uncover the answers behind questions no one really asked to begin with. My name is Joseph, and joining me as always is Colin. We are two longtime friends on opposite ends of the world here to share our catch-ups in the most millennial way possible. A podcast. And just to re-emphasize, or I guess to clarify, we're technically Gen Z, but mm. it's still true. <laughs> it's still yes. true. I just thought of the just the the syllables in millennial just sound better. True, 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 true. Anything for and, rhyme. And, yes, anything for the product. <laughs> <laughs> How's things been for you this past week? We haven't recorded for a week or almost two weeks, I think. I think one and a half. Okay. Something like that. Um yeah, I started uni today. Um Ooh. although Literally nothing has changed about my life because I'm still at home. <laughs> uh, yeah, all my classes are online. Got, uh, when, when would you go sorry. back and get like uh, get back to like face to face stuff? Uh, well, actually, some of the courses are face to face. Uh, just depends on like the faculty and whether or not like your coordinators want face to face classes. I just happen to like all the four subjects that I take this sem. Like none of them are holding anything uh face to face so right I see. yeah so right now it's like some face to face mostly online uh but that'll be like that for the whole sem because they already planned it that way uh so the i guess the earliest possible where everything's face to face is probably next sem or maybe the sem after that just depends i guess on the vaccine and everything but yeah uh how about you how have things been with you i'm not bad i moved back into uni- like university residence and right yeah just like doing some like introduction stuff like you know we usually have an orientation right before the first semester of yeah. every year but yeah. because of covid and a lot of people being away even some of the people who lived here um, or supposed to be living here being away or in quarantine yeah. everything's done online so we're it's not exactly like an online orientation but it's like a virtual introduction and mm. I'm one of the team leaders, so I feel like, you know, it's kind of like college fathers and mo- like college mom and dads. I don't know how to, <laughs> like, you know, it's like your two team leaders, like trying to bring a bunch of freshmen, however old they are. And you just kind of yeah. give them info about, um, oh, this is what we have at, F- like, say, like, you know, the college that I'm in. Um, mm-hmm. These are different resources, and this is the culture, and like why our floors have like different personalities, and like here's some ch- tasks for team bonding and stuff like that. <laughs> right, right. Sounds like yeah, you got been... a lot of responsibilities. Oh no, not really, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's been good fun. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh yeah. Anyways, to the drinks. What are you having this week? Today I'm having coffee once again, uh, but okay. it is slightly different from last time. Uh, this time, still a flat white, but made it with oat milk instead of normal milk. Ooh. Uh, so if you recall to the last episode, I talked about like tasting coffees and stuff. Um, so I didn't end up comparing coffees, but <laughs> I ended up comparing coffees made with different milks. Uh, yeah. Uh. So I made like two flat whites, one with soy and one with oat. And I concluded that I like oat milk better in my coffee. Uh, Is this actually... like a drastic change? It's it's not that different to be honest. Um, like I had to like go back and forth a lot, uh, but 
actually, I think a lot more people would enjoy soy milk because uh, this, this is like specifically the two brands that I tried. But um, so the soy milk that I like, sorry, the two milks that I compared, right? Uh, the soy milk tasted much richer and creamier than oat milk, which I think most people would prefer because that's closer to like actual milk, right? Um, right, yeah. And like, you know, it's just more pungent and is more aromatic and has like a, like a stronger sweetness in the soy milk. Right, uh, okay. which is still subtle. It's not like like sugar sweet. It's like like milk sweet, if that makes sense. Uh, I see. I see. Yeah. So if you like that bold kind of taste, then yeah, I guess soy milk is better for you. But I guess the reason that I preferred oat milk is that it's not as strong, and like I could taste the coffee flavors more. Mm. So it didn't like crush like this the bitterness of the coffee, which is actually something that I quite like. And I... yeah, and also like it just seemed lighter, and I feel like with like anything heavy, especially like desserts that are really sweet, I'll enjoy like my like you know like the, the curve of enjoyment. It just spikes at the beginning, like the first two bites or the first two sips, and then it just like mm -hmm. plummets if it's like really rich. So like, I think because oat milk's mm -hmm. a lot lighter, that curve is a lot more consistent, and it's just like yeah, I can like enjoy it the whole way through. Ah, uh, fair enough. Yeah. How about you? The, what yeah, are you good. having? Um, before I get to that, good point about desserts, to be honest. Like, I don't oh, think I yeah. eat that much dessert. Mm. But, like, I don't know, ice cream, I can eat gallons of. Mm. I guess they're, they're different. It's just oh. another tier. That's interesting, though, because I, like, um, like, gelato's pretty big here. And, like, heavy flavors of gelato, like, like I'll like, I enjoy, the <laughs> same thing, I enjoy the fir first two bites, but then it just becomes, like, too much a chore to eat <laughs> where it's where like for example like sorbet if it's like yeah fruit based it's just really easy to eat the entire time because of that like acidity as we talked about last time you know <laughs> mm, yes yes, you yes, know, yes gotta have that balance but anyways this week though i'm not drinking it right now because it is like what 10 a.m in hong kong right i had this yesterday night mm -hmm. but um Recently, I came across a whiskey video Ooh. by Whiskey Tribe. Those guys are pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, you know what? Like, I like alcohol in the sense of like, there are very different variations and flavors. Not like mm -hmm. I like shotting liters <laughs> of vodka down my throat. <laughs> yes, this man's a connoisseur. Like, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> but um, I was like, you know what? I, I don't know much about whiskey. Because um, my main thing is beer, and I've mm. tried some wine, but it's like I feel like I'm missing out on this entire, you know, section. Okay, okay. That a lot of people do love, and I'm sure they have good reason to. So I was like, you know what, I'm a, I should try it out. Yeah. And me and this friend of mine, we just split a bottle that was recommended by both uh, Liam, good shout out mm -hmm. if he's listening, or and Tintin. Um, oh. it, well, Tintin didn't really recommend this, but he just kind of told me what it would be like, and I was like, sure. But um. Huh. I have this Japanese whiskey called Suntory Toki. Ooh. And it's a relatively young blended whiskey. Okay. Meaning it is young, so it's aged, you know, for a pretty short time. I think mm -hmm. in this case it was like three to four years. And blended in the sense of like there are multiple distillery distilleries like contributing to this one whiskey. Right. As in contributing, as in taking their own whiskeys and then blending it. Ah, uh, okay. Not like just like co-designing it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it's like, you know, relatively light compared to other, you know, whiskeys. And um, I don't know, it's like really flowery. 
on the nose and right. not as harsh. And but uh, but the flavor, mm. you know, if we want to go back to like coffee and things, it doesn't linger. It just kind of like goes. Mm. Yeah, like so. It's, I'm not saying it's like water, but it, like you taste it. It's a bit sharp, flowery, sweet, and then it just kind of goes away. So it's right. nothing too strong. So I quite yeah. like it. I think it's a good intro whiskey to get into. Oh, yeah. I saw your story. I really like the design of the bottle too. Yeah, the, and and the bottle is beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I got it just because of the bottle. Like, <laughs> I have a good enough reason to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Today, I'd like to talk about hyperthermia. <laughs> oh, okay. But also hypothermia and fevers. Wait, 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 what? <laughs> uh, so hyperthermia, hypothermia, and fevers. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So uh, this was before the SEM started. I did this like online vital sign course. Uh, and yeah, it was just a series of lectures about vital signs. And I thought it was super interesting. Uh, and like this section particularly, I was like, huh, like it'll be like, it'll be cool to talk about. Like I've, I found, I really enjoyed learning about it. And uh, but before I get to it, disclaimer. Uh, none of this is a suitable replacement for actual medical advice. Please consult your doctor slash GP <laughs> if you require any sort of medical advice or attention. Thank you. <laughs> Don't trust us. Don't trust us. <laughs> yes, but <laughs> for reference. <laughs> so, Colin, do you know what hypothermia and hyperthermia are? Okay. I know hyperthermia is when your body temperature drops so low that your body is not okay. I don't yeah, was that? Reaches, did you say per or po? Hype. I, I said per. Well, the, you're talking about hypo. <laughs> okay, I know about hypothermia. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> and I would assume hyperthermia, because it is hyper, mm -hmm. that uh, it is the opposite in, in the case that your body is so hot yes. that it is then not okay. You've, you've hit the nail on the head there. <laughs> That's exactly <Okay. laughs> it. So hypothermia <laughs> is when your core body temperature is lower than normal for a persistent length of time. And obviously hyperthermia mm -hmm. is when it's higher than normal for a persistent length of time. What, what, is the, what is that normal? Yeah, the normal range is somewhere between 35 to 38 degrees Celsius. Uh, but of course, it varies between person to person, which is why that range is so like, why is why it's a range. Um, mm -hmm. and from person to person, it's a range as well. So, yeah, um, you could check every day and find out what your normal range is, but hey, <laughs> uh, anyway, so what is responsible for keeping your core body temperature consistent is a part of the brain called the hypothalamus. I don't know if you've heard about, you've probably heard that word before. Um, yes, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, long story short, it's a, it's a part of your brain. Uh, and it receives and sends signals for detecting normal temperatures or taking action on abnormal ones. So let's start with hypothermia because that's the one that you immediately thought of, right? It's essentially when we are too cold. Uh, so like what kind of responses can you think of that our body does to ensure that that we don't get too cold? I think the most obvious one would be like shivering. So you kind of want to get your body warm. Yeah. Um, perhaps some sort of... You know, trying to wrap your body in like, well, like, you know, you feel cold. So you have the immediate response of like, I don't know, staying, cold, like, how do you call it? Like making yourself small. 
mm. and like try to find warm spots and stuff. Yes. But also know that like in intense cases of hypothermia or like at a certain stage, you actually feel hot and you want to take off your clothes. Ooh. And yeah, I, I saw this like Mount Everest documentary or something and they talked about it and it was like, if it gets really intense, like it gets there, you have this opposite effect where like you start sweating and you really want and you just feel really, really, really hot. That's interesting. I I didn't learn too much about that, but I think later when I talked about talk about fevers, like it might relate to that. Um, okay. But yeah, so yeah, what you said is exactly right. Like to prevent your body from feeling cold, like you'll shiver, uh, which is basically your brain telling your body to move your muscles to generate heat because movement generates heat, and mm-hmm. your metabolism will also spike a bit higher than normal because when you're Ooh. burning like fuel you're also generating more heat Mm -hmm. and another thing is when you feel cold like what do you feel cold first like what part of your body do you like usually feel cold first oh my um maybe like my torso or like i don't know my arms like Mm. like yeah like triceps like it just feels like something outside yeah like like in your like the scent yeah like my center of my body is warm but like, like everything, like gradually my body from the outside is getting colder. Yes, exactly right. So your periphery kind of gets cold, right? Like for me, like my hands just get super cold. Like it's always the first thing I notice. Um, mm-hmm. And if I'm not like wearing shoes or socks, then like my feet as well. Right. And so that's actually a very like normal response because what happens when you're when your core body temperature is dropping is that your peripheral blood vessels will constrict so that means you get less circulation to the extremities of your body and like essentially most of the blood stays in your core and that's why your core feels less Ah. of a drop that dramatically because the vital stuff is there right it doesn't actually matter too much if your hands are like 30 degrees for too long like it matters a lot if your brain's at 30 degrees for too long (laughs) yeah But yeah, and like, you know, one of the reasons why we need to stay in that nice temperature range is like there's just a lot of bodily processes that rely on the fact that we're at this temperature range. And like, you know, enzymes, if it gets too hot, they'll denature. If it gets too cold, they won't work. Um, Mm. And yeah, and you actually mentioned something a while ago that was uh, interesting. Like you tend to like curl up, right? Yes. And that's actually because like you're like in a physics kind of perspective, you're reducing your surface area. Yep. And so you radiate heat less, ah. or at least the contact with like coldness, like just you yeah. try to minimize that basically. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And, you know, what can you do if you get too cold and, you know, you reach hypothermia? Uh, well, you can't increase it back up immediately because that would actually shock your system. So, what, what does that mean? Uh, like, let's say. Like, for some reason, you were out in the cold for too long. You jumped into, like, an ice lake or whatever, and now you're in the hospital, right? (laughs) Um, Yeah. Like, they can't just, like, put you in a hot room and then, like, call it a day. Oh, yeah. Because that would actually shock your body because the the difference in temperature is too too great. Um, Oh. And so they actually have to, like, gradually increase your temperature. And I think it just involves, like, heated IVs. um, And then, like, if you're conscious enough and you're able to, then, like, you know, drinking, like hot beverages and soups like this nice oat milk flat white that i have here (laughs) oh um but yeah so um on the flip side um can you tell me some of the responses that your body does to keep it from being too hot sweating 
Yes, perfect. And Anything else? taking off your clothes. Yes. So you get exposure to aircon. <laughs> um actually like I, think, I can't I can't like I can't stand like shirtless in front of air conditioning. Like I I, I feel like I get sick immediately if I did that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a classic, classic like Asian parents like mm. <laughs> you'll you'll get a flu. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or something catch a cold. Um, yeah. yeah, funny. But yeah, I think that, that that's all I can think of. Right. Uh well yeah, that's right. So you sweat. You lose water, and the process of evaporation on your skin takes away like heat energy as well. So that's a great yeah. way to dissipate heat. And uh, just like with uh, with hypothermia, when you're getting too cold, like your blood vessels will constrict. But the opposite happens when you get too hot; your blood vessels will dilate. Uh, so okay. better circulation and everything, and like mm-hmm. you radiate heat better, and then sweat. Uh, so. Have you ever wondered what heat stroke is? Oh, weirdly, no. Hmm. But, I just thought people overheated. Yeah. And they didn't feel good. Like, have you ever wondered, like, why it's called heat stroke? No. Also, because, like, you know, like, when you say you have a stroke, that's completely different from actual, from a heat stroke, from, what, from what, what I understand. Yeah. Well, what if I told you that it's not actually that different? Oh, my Lord. <laughs> <laughs> so... Obviously, it's not the same medical condition, like a stroke and a heat stroke, oh. but the naming convention actually kind of makes a bit of sense. So let's first start off. Let's not start off with the extreme. Let's start off with something like a little bit less extreme, uh, something called heat exhaustion, which mm-hmm. is basically like mild hyperthermia. Um, say you're exercising by running on a hot summer's day and you start to feel lightheaded and tired because of the heat. You're sweating mm-hmm. a lot. You're starting to get dehydrated. Uh, so, you you know, your body does the things that it does to, like, try and cool itself down. It'll sweat, it'll vasodilate, which just is a fancy term for, like, your blood vessels will, like, expand instead of constrict. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, the reason, so the reason, like, you feel lightheaded when it's really hot and that happens is, like, one, you're dehydrated, and two, um, when your blood vessels dilate, um, what do you think happens to your blood pressure? Okay, I would assume mm-hmm. it is lower because there is now more space for the blood to flow. Yes. But, okay, never mind. I'm not going to say the butt. <laughs> what, what, what was your butt? Just for just. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> just just for. I was like. <laughs> I was going to say like maybe, or the blood pressure is so high that it's caused the blood vessels to expand, and because the blood is like rushing through quicker. Right. Right. Uh. Well, your first reasoning is completely correct. So your blood pressure drops because what happens when your blood vessels dilate? So it it doesn't expand because of the blood rushing through it. It expands because um, you've got like smooth muscles like controlling the diameter and stuff. Um, Okay. But yeah, your blood vessels will expand and then like the blood pressure will drop. So there's less resistance on the blood because there's more space. Uh, And a consequence of lower blood pressure is that less blood gets to your brain. Oh. And hence... That's why. Less oxygen. Ah. So that's heat exhaustion. And... Yeah. So let's... Same scenario. If you were to ignore your body, (laughs) like, Mm -hmm. warning signs, like, hey, I'm lightheaded, (laughs) and you just keep running, keep being exposed to the heat of the sun, and keep using your muscle... Like an athlete. 
<laughs> you know, you just keep using your muscles and generating more heat. You will eventually get to the point of heat stroke, which is a very dangerous, like, um, medical emergency. Uh, so, yeah. What happens past heat exhaustion is that your blood pressure drops further and you actually eventually stop sweating. Um, Whoa. So, like, really? yeah. So, you can, so one way to tell between if like someone's having, if someone is just heat exhausted versus if someone's having a heat stroke is like if you touch their skin and if it's dry or not. If it's dry and they're like lightheaded and like kind of unresponsive, like they're definitely having a heat stroke, right? Um, okay. But yeah, so the reason you stop sweating is because losing water content from sweating actually decreases your blood volume. Okay. So if you imagine that like you have like a certain volume of blood in your body that's constantly circulating, sweating actually decreases that blood volume. Like less the, there's less water content in your blood, which mm-hmm. is also another great way to drop your blood pressure. <laughs> right. So your mm-hmm. body um, tries to compensate for this dangerously low blood pressure by stopping from sweating because it can't constrict your um your blood vessel because of the way that we're wired like we just that's not a response that happens when you're when you're really hot um mm-hmm. because it's trying to compensate for the heat as well but it gets to a point where your blood pressure is so low that it's just like oh no if i keep sweating like the blood pressure is going to drop further and i'm like not going to get enough oxygen to the brain uh but if you stop sweating it further worsens your already overheated body. Yes. So now you have two serious issues. Your blood pressure is so low that you don't have enough oxygen going to your brain and your core body temperature is way above normal um, that, you know, it's starting to affect your bodily functions. Yeah. And so that's heat stroke. And it's pretty similar to a normal stroke because they both involve your brain not getting enough oxygen. Wow. I'm only going to exercise indoors now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think the moral of the story is to, you know, listen to your body and also keep hydrated because this is easily avoidable if you just keep drinking water because the two scenarios that I described, like, are just bad, like, situations because you're not replenishing the water you're losing. Stay hydrated, kids. Stay hydrated. And adults. (laughs) So the last thing I wanted to talk about is fevers. So you know what fevers are. Your temperature increases when you're sick. Um, So like, okay, what do you feel when you have a fever? Uh, Like drowsy, Mm -hmm. nausea, and uh, a slight overheating feeling. Right. But do you feel when you're like about to get sick and when you're like about to get a fever, like, do you feel cold? Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You feel cold, right? And you shiver and stuff. But that's weird, Mm -hmm. right? Because a fever, like, is, like, by definition, like... Overheating. Overheating, yeah. Um, So, I will explain why (laughs) that's the case. So, what happens when you get sick is foreign pathogens invade your body. Your immune response releases these things called pyrogens and... You don't need to know what they are, but they're just signals that reach the hypothalamus, as I was talking about before, uh, Mm -hmm. center to control your temperature and everything. And what happens is that the pyrogens will basically tell the hypothalamus to change the default temperature 
that your body perceives as normal. Right. So let's say you're like, you know, before your normal range was 35 to 38. Now what's normal is like 38 to 40, right? Maybe not that high because <laughs> like it's pretty bad to have a high fever. But um, so now that your normal is higher, um, what you perceive as normal is higher. You're still at your original body temperature, which is like, let's say it was at 36 before. But if you're oh. now your new normal is like 38, then it's just like, it's wow, cold. I'm cold. Yeah. So it's like when you're yeah. like sick, right? Like you feel really cold, but everyone around you is like, nah, it's fine. <laughs> like, <laughs> what are you talking about, right? Yeah. And because your body perceives it as cold, then it does all the same like responses that it does when your body temperature drops. So you... you, uh, you I see, I see. Yeah, you shiver, you know, vasoconstrict, everything. Um, so another thing that a fever can be called is like controlled hyperthermia. Because... Like your core temperature is higher than normal because you're trying to like get rid of the, like the invasion of pathogens and everything. Because um, yeah, it would be worse if you didn't actually fight off the the pathogens in your body. Um, yeah. And then the issue is obviously that like if you have a fever too long, it would be detrimental to your health. So like, but let's say your fever doesn't get worse, you get better. Um, yeah. What's usually like the first sign you look for like to just kind of be like, I'm like getting better. I'm recovering from this fever. Like more energy. Mm. But is there like a specific sign like you look for? No. Okay, <laughs> interesting. Because um, what I always find is that like, you know, when a fever breaks, you start no. to sweat. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting that you've never felt this before. I've like sweated before, but because I was like under six like duvets. Yeah, but like, um, you know, like you go from like feeling really cold, right? And then you, you're, yeah. you're having your fever and my, maybe you might feel hot, but like you usually don't sweat, right? But then yeah. like usually sweating is correlated like in the time after, like you feel a lot better than before you were able to sweat, right? Yeah, I'll give you that, yeah. Mm -hmm. So like the reason for that, for that response of like sweat, suddenly sweating is because your hypothalamus like resets your normal temperature range back to normal so it's like mm -hmm. again back to your um 35 to 38 yeah. and then now that your body is still at the higher like 39 let's say it perceives it as hot again and then so that's like okay ah. it's warm let's do all the responses we do to cool off and then that's like when your fever breaks and then when you start sweating and then yeah you cool yourself off and you're back to normal so, ah, okay. that's all I learned this week. Cool. If I say the term forensic architecture, what would you think that is? Um, trying to find which building murdered another building. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's actually not, I'm not going to say it's pretty close. <laughs> but like the forensic element isn't like, you know, a joke. Like, um, it's, let me explain. So forensic <laughs> architecture is actually a research agency based in Goldsmith, uh, in uh, the university, uh, Goldsmith University of London. Okay. And what they do is undertake these advanced, I don't know, media and spatial investigation, investigations into human rights violations and with, uh, which are mainly with about like political violence, human rights organizations, uh, international 
laws and environmental justice groups and stuff like that. So, right. so, so that's, I guess, what they focus on. Mm. They're like a human rights group, but it's mainly investigative and whatnot. But what they do is that they involve, like, they use construction of digital and physical models, like 3D animations, virtual reality. So they construct mm. all these, like, you know, these, like, models so that it could be used to, um, I guess estimate what happened in something that in, in, a, in an event that might have been like you know who was wrong that type of thing um, okay. using collecting photographs videos audio files testimonies to reconstruct and analyze a particular space oh yeah so do you remember like in design or not in design um like in tech in like hl or, or like sl design and technology back in or high school, we had these like 3D modeling software. Like, uh, what was it, like Google SketchUp and stuff? Yeah, like that would be like, you know, the beginner version of that. Mm -hmm. But but what they do, it's like, let me, and, uh, oh yeah, these like human rights violations or, you know, or uh, certain events that they do investigate in is like, um, let's just say, I know this is sensitive, but like, let's just say um, the killing of George Floyd. Mm. Um, if if there was no definite video of the let's just say situation, mm -hmm. there were only kind of fragments and like and the and if the verdict was or at least the social verdict was not clear whether who was wrong and what happened, these guys forensic architecture would step in, collect a humongous load of data through photos, videos, um, and going back to the crime scene taking photos um, using a process called photogrammetry, which um, mm -hmm. basically constructs a 3D map of the entire scene and then try and reconstruct the event based on the data that they have collected via the right. photos, testimonies, and things. And what they do is map out and map out the event through time. Mm -hmm. I, I know this sounds a bit weird, but like to see it, on YouTube and what they actually do is, you know, a lot more clear than me just saying it. But, um, yeah, so they map and model to deserve, to determine the exact timing of certain events across multiple clips and images and analyzing, like, the angle of shadows, plume clouds, placement of objects frame by frame so they can know exactly what happened or, like, when was this gunshot in exact, like, in exact time across, like, 15 videos you know, where this, where was this video? You know, I, I don't know how to explain more in depth other than like, it's a lot of data mining, I guess. It's kind of like a uh, simulation of like what happened, right? Like without. Yeah. Like, I guess like you're trying to simulate what happened with a limited amount of data. Exactly. Yeah, huh? exactly. That's pretty From, cool. but And it's like not just, oh, we have a video, but it's like, oh, look, this video includes this particular shadow from this particular angle of the city or this mm -hmm. particular shadow shows that it is from this place around about from the city. But we can yeah. have the precise location through looking at three other videos which triangulates this position based on just shadows alone. Uh. Because, you know, a lot of human rights violations are, or like certain military events or political events do happen in countries where it's not heavily surveillanced or... Um, or in more rural areas, let's just say in certain places in the Middle East where the U.S. military 
um, or certain militaries are involved in, they won't have clear recordings with time codes. Yeah. But like, you know, one side will claim one thing and this happened and they didn't do anything wrong. And the other side would claim the complete opposite, you know. Yeah. And this is where they step in and kind of try and use um, film, photography, audio engineering, software, architecture, analysis of space, rubble, um, what do you call it? like artillery mm. and um, scientists and journalists to all come together and like create this interdisciplinary um, organization or investigative organization and um, and yeah just like take on these yeah you know, so it's, it's like kind of like which one's more probable in terms of like yeah which story is more likely to be real and yeah and it's like immensely in depth because like th what I'm saying is literally just what they do, but the amount of depth and sophistication that you see in their video, which I'm not saying is objective truth. It's again, a massive guesstimation yeah. or recreation of how most likely, most likely um, the scenario could have taken place or there's several possibilities. And then it'll point out why perhaps certain authorities or certain um, groups um, seem to be more untrustworthy based on their their claims and stuff like yeah. that. Now, how I came across them, and which I believe is the interesting part also, <laughs> is that um, when I was working in my summer internship recently, um, I was having a conversation about like a concept of justice, and mm -hmm. also weirdly the like certain interesting exhibitions I've seen um, with my supervisor, who was the head of the gallery. And she brought up um, this group about um, how they actually hold exhibitions in Tate's and in Tate Modern and a lot of other museums around the world. Mm -hmm. So on top of actually producing reports, simulation videos and presentation of evidence in court, they also present their work in museums and gallery space. So oh. they will have these large projection screens, but like put in a specific way or like they're hanging from the top and it's a cylinder so it's like very artistically placed and presented. But these are just data and statistics and maps. So it really, I thought it really changed my mind in terms of like our relationship of st with statistics and facts and how they could change based on how, I guess, the artist so-and-so or the creator decided to present it in a different mm. space and a different form. Yeah, because, like, and, imagine uh, the undertaking to, like, do all of that, right? Oh, yeah. It's it, it's insane. Like, sometimes they take months and years mm -hmm. to finish a case, and their team is massive. It yeah. is led by, I think it was, like, one of the head of the architecture department or something in Goldsmith. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If I, like, you know, send you the link, you can quickly look through it now. Or you can just type up and search Forensic Architecture Exhibition on Google Images. Um. And I just think it's like incredibly interesting because it, you know, it really creates a new visual culture with facts and how we can view and present and understand, I guess, the, oh, wow. the political realm of things yeah. or online news. Because it's so different from just like looking at images and statistics on a spreadsheet or on news, right? You're seeing this in a museum space. It just has another impact because you can really get desensitized by news nowadays. Yeah. I think a lot of us are. It's easy to just see 
how many people died based because of COVID-19 and then just scroll past. Yeah. As tragic as that is. But um Yeah, I'm looking I at think some it's just of really, the images now. Yeah. Like yeah, it's a lot more haunting to see like I guess like the specific image that I'm looking at right now, I guess has kind of the trajectory of like the I, I don't know if it's an explosion or like debris. Yeah. But like And they're very, very like blatant about it. Yeah, it's just putting that into like a space like you realize like oh like this if i was in this location at that time like this would have killed me like yeah it's it's really weird because you're just presented by the same facts mm. or at least information yeah but because it's in that space and because it's i don't expanded into the size of a wall and the timeline is from wall to wall. Mm-hmm. And because the way they show the timeline and the way they design their maps are so different. It's just so compelling. Mm-hmm. And it really opened a new, I guess, window for me of seeing how something that is so systematically and supposedly um, factual mm-hmm. can be presented in a way that is weirdly artistic or has certain artistic values. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's art. But it's all, but, but again, yeah, like you're presented by the same facts, but I don't know why I'm compelled more and influenced a lot more. Mm. I guess it feels a lot more human that it's like tangible. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and they have a YouTube video and like they put a lot of their investigative cases on there. So they compile their work and make it into a video. And, um, it's, I guess some, some of the stuff is like really amazing. Like, Mm. like what I've just said is like 10% of what they do. Right. <laughs> and it's incredibly in-depth. And um, their website also has like information, cases, and actual images of exhibitions of their work if people want to look at them. So I do really implore people to, um, yeah, go have a look or like a peruse at least. <laughs> mm. um, yeah. I also know that there are organizations around the world that do try and imitate what they're doing, but not mm-hmm. particularly to the same extent because right. due to resources and perhaps political barriers or um, or like just lack of funding so they just didn't continue that type of thing. Yeah. Um, but I know University of Hong Kong actually has one. So my university mm-hmm. actually has a similar team of, of a much smaller scale from what I've been told um, and from what I've seen. I think they're called Civic Civil Rights Observer. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, basically they do around the same thing. But Again, obviously not to the same intense depth and not all of their content is simulations and modeling like um, forensic architecture. Some are just more archival and um, here's some photos, <laughs> that type of thing. <laughs> but, okay. um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, just to end it, it's just genuinely impressive. I just thought to like merge real life into gallery space or like mm. the space of a museum and art. Even though, you know, a lot of art tries to do that and does do that this is i feel like a completely new thing yeah for sure so what time is it Colin? so <laughs> oh, oh my damn, voice okay. is cracked there <laughs> so, um, <coughs> this week <laughs> the fact no we're leaving that in <laughs> all right all right <laughs> this week um as i was drinking whiskey yesterday slash today did you know that the word whiskey actually derives from the Gaelic word or term, uskabetha? And 
I know it sounds weird because it is spelt U-I-S-G-E space B-E-A-T-H-A. So don't make fun of how I pronounce things. <laughs> I know I'm wrong. <laughs> and um, it literally means water of life. And uska, which sounds like whiskey in a very dragged out way, um, is how whiskey came from. I don't know where the betha went, but we got it from Uska. <laughs> but it used to be called Uska betha. So oh. today I drank blended water from Japan <laughs> with 43% alcohol, which is fantastic. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Perhaps next week or next episode, whatever, I can talk about the, what, what, the differentiation between whiskeys. Because that that got me into like a two-hour YouTube binge because... Man, that'd be, that'd be pretty cool, with, actually. <laughs> I'm pretty yeah, curious. Whiskeys with and without an E. Like, difference between, like, bourbon and other... But, you know, maybe we'll get to that next time. Oh, yeah. Actually, I remember vaguely, like, like learning about, like, why... Like, what the difference between whiskey with an E and whiskey without an E is. But I've totally forgotten. But, you know, stay tuned in the next oh. episode to find out. Oh, <laughs> ended on a hook. <laughs> Guess we'll see... Y'all, next time. Good night. Bye-bye.